Hey guys, welcome back to the Level Up Experience. Really appreciate you guys tuning in today. Uh, I've got two guests on the screen, as you can see. I've got Tom Rowe and Jared Busby with Silicon Nexus. Guys, how's it going? It's going great. It's great. Thanks a lot for jumping on. Really do, really do appreciate it. Uh, we're going to do some housekeeping things for about a minute. Want to make sure everybody is rolling on LinkedIn and on YouTube. We are live. Thank you all very much for being here. Really do appreciate it. So pulling up chat and let us know with some thumbs up that we are good to go. Of course, throughout, if you have questions for Tom or Jared or myself, feel free to post those into chat. I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Um, so I'd like to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, Tom, I'm going to give you the floor first. Talk a little bit about yourself and catch everybody up to speed um, about your career. Cool. Um, well, like I said, it's great to be here. Um, I go back to the 90s where I started working in uh, virtual reality, virtual reality video games um, with Andrew Prell, uh, the president of Convergence, which is the company we both work for. Um, and uh, we started uh, building arcade units um, and location-based entertainment units for uh, virtual reality where you had the head-mounted display, but those displays were um, glass CRTs. They were very heavy. Um, we've come a long way. And uh, how I met uh, Jared was just basically uh, he joined our effort in the marketing side um, and social media side to uh, help us get the word out about this project, Silicon Nexus. Now, that uh, first um, venture into video games was in the uh, mid-90s, early 90s. And um, I did a lot of things since then, military and otherwise. And then uh, we saw that Facebook was getting in the virtual reality game um, back in 2013 and decided that maybe it was time to give it another shot because at the time uh, VR hardware was uh, bulky and hard to wear and uh, more than half of the people that tried it got sick. <laughs> it's still an issue, but uh, it's better. It's a lot better. Um, and it's lighter, of course, and more immersive, um, and you can do a lot more with it. So we'll get more into that later, but uh, that's basically my history, how I got involved. I'm the uh, creative director for Silicon Nexus Project at Convergence, and um, look forward to continuing the conversation. Pretty cool, Jared. So, um, you know, as a kid, I always loved video games. I would write little doodles in my book of different video game ideas I had, come up with stories, how, you know. Um, but I didn't actually end up going in, straight into it. Uh, I went to college, um, studied philosophy, and then uh, 2008 hit when I was halfway through. And I was like, oh, crap. So I had to figure out what I was like, I'm going to pay off these, this debt. I didn't want to be in student loan debt. So I ended up working on the oil field up in North Dakota during the big oil boom mm -hmm. and did that for a good two years or so. And then a friend of, and then I was doing some truck driving after that. A friend of mine showed me this video of these trucks that were driverless semi-trucks they were driving down the road in nevada and i said i cannot do this anymore i didn't really want to be doing it anyways 
but I saw, I, you know, I'm going to lose my, you know, get replaced by some machine and it's going to be horrible. <laughs> so I, um, started, so I got into it and 2017, I really started learning about crypto and I felt horrible. I was like, man, ethers at 1500. I'm priced out. I'll mm-hmm. never be able to afford an ether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, but I, but, you know, I had my, I had a cousin who said, Jared, just do bounty, earn crypto. Just mm-hmm. earn it. Don't, don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I said, fine. So I got into bounty zero X and I, I just started learning everything I could about it. And I started doing all these bounty projects and by participating and earning them, I just started learning as much as I could. It became my uh, second job. Um, and then there was a, there's a group called, there's a group in Louisville, Kentucky that meets at Diorio's pizza and they talk about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go there one day just to meet everybody, meet other crypto fans. What year was that again? Oh, this would have been 2018. Gotcha. And Andrew Prell was there and he roped me in and I've been working with Convergence and Silicon Exits ever since. Yeah, and, and Andrew like physically ropes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. actual rope. Yeah, you're right. Yes. That's great. No, so uh, thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. Um, just a couple things. So on LinkedIn, YouTube, feel free to jump in with questions throughout. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, let us go ahead and know where you're coming from in the comments. We always like to hear where you guys are at. Uh, I do want to go back. Uh, Tom, let's go back to, I guess, the early 90s. What's like the first experience you ever had with virtual reality? Because I'd love to hear that. Okay, so um, Andrew Prell was really uh, bleeding edge. Um, he was pushing the envelope of what you could do with a uh, 2D, 3D, or 2.5D game engine. Um uh, which is kind of what I would call um, Doom and Quake, uh, not Quake, but Doom <laughs> at the time. And um, he, we we had access to the Wolfenstein engine from ID. And uh, he had worked out some kind of deal with ID and um, got access to their engine. We were going to put an arcade, so we uh, spent a lot of time going over all of the sprites that were used in the game and turning all the red blood into green blood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, parents were really uh, freaking out about pixelated blood back then. Um, so we had to make it completely G-rated, though you are shooting alien Nazis. We had to turn them into alien Nazis. Um, and uh, it was just an interesting time because we used Deluxe Paint 3 to do all the frames for the animation. You had to do everything then that you do now. You have to create a walking sequence, a standing sequence, a waiting sequence, uh, all the different sequences of frames, but they had to be drawn by hand. Uh, we were using Wacom tablets back then to uh, draw in Deluxe Paint 3 all of the frames for these cell animation sequences. And we replaced essentially all of the art in Wolfenstein and turned it into our own game. Um, and then we were able to put multiple people inside of a game called CyberTag, which was also based on the Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein engine. And um, that was the first time in an arcade um, that you could use a, an immersive game where you actually were wearing a headset. Uh, these are the great big uh, 
head, heavy headsets. They were red usually. Um, you might see them in pictures from the 90s when VR video games, if you look that up. And um, those headsets were uh, very uncomfortable. I mentioned it earlier, but um, it made it, it was a hard sell because they also broke pretty easy. So selling this really expensive arcade game to an arcade and then having people come and mess with it and break it uh, caused a, a service call. Um, it was cumbersome, but it was so much fun. Um, and if you weren't one of the poor few that got sick every time you put on a VR headset back then, then you could get involved in the industry just with enthusiasm, uh, either running one or uh, participating in the development behind one of those games. Um, so the team grew really big, but then uh, about 94, we um, had some issues, internal gripes with management and stuff, uh, not Andrew Prell. He was, he could sometimes be a jerk, but he was a good manager. <laughs> you might meet him in the future. Um, but uh, he knew that. He knew that he could sometimes be a jerk. He's he's way more calm now, you know, than he was. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, great. Yeah. So he, uh, but he uh, led us to build a 3D game called Xenomorph. And the team was amazing. We we took a, an engine from Pixel Planes technology, which was developed in North Carolina, sold to England, and then England gave it back to us in the form of a, a really expensive uh, piece of PC hardware. Then our team wired in a, a four-player experience in a 3D game engine that could hand in, handle about 20,000 polygons. If you know anything about modern graphics cards, 20,000 polygons is probably the hand of a character, you know, <laughs> 20,000 polygons in that hand. Uh, we had 20,000 to work the whole uh, game arena, all of the levels and all the characters and everything that was going on in there. So it was a tight uh, graphic budget. Our, um, our texture budget for that, if I'm not mistaken, was, this is insane, was like 256 pixels wide by, I think, uh, 128 pixels tall. Mm -hmm. That's all the art that we could paste on the polygons in that game. So we had to get really creative with how we textured walls and floors and ceilings and everything. Uh, but we did it. In eight months, we put together a game, and then we were selling them to um, MGM Grand in Las Vegas, um, a very high price system. Uh, but that's when trouble started. Some some people in management that had nothing to do with development got greedy and kind of ripped the company apart, thinking they could do it on their own, and it collapsed a few months after. So that was sad. I kind of I didn't run away from video games. I ran to North Carolina where we, um, me and a couple of the other other people from the company, started another company, and uh, that's a long story I won't get into. But but um, that one, you know, we 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 did okay, but um, we couldn't achieve the funding we needed to get things uh, fully implemented, uh, a good team in place. So we had to leave that one as well. Um, and then, you know, having been bitten twice, uh, I was out of video games for a long time. Uh, other than playing them, I've always loved video games and uh, I've played them my whole life. Um, my first video game was Pong. So. <laughs> awesome. And I, and I sold grit newspaper as a little boy, and I would use my grit newspaper money 
to play pong and I wasted all my quarters, you know, on that game. <laughs> um, that's an awesome story. Yeah, yeah, that's that goes way back. We're talking 1974, probably. Um, but that was, uh, you know, so I've always been in, in love with video games and my children are obsessive about video games. Um, and uh, you know, my wife isn't much, she hasn't been bitten by the bug. We've gotten her to play a few times, but she's just not into it. Uh, but everybody else is. So this Silicon Nexus thing is, um, you know, we'll talk about that a little more uh, later, I think. But um, that's how I got where I am right now. Yeah, so I'd like to just really transition into Silicon Nexus. Like, what is it? What's the vision? Um, like, you know, top line, uh, top level, like, what is it about? Because, uh, you know, the way that you've already described it, it's really taken, you know, past experiences of putting those together uh, to create this ecosystem. So, uh, so what, if anyone, so Jared, you can jump in, Tom, you can jump in. I just want to say to Eric, okay. Eric, watch, walks. Yeah, Eric, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely old school. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to play Wolfenstein and Pong in one call. We go, way, old school. <laughs> we go way back at, uh, at Convergence 4D. Um, and uh, the team, you know, that, like I said, it was 1993, 94 when that was done. So um, we've been kind of stalking video games ever since, waiting for the moment when we could try this again. And I think it's now's the time. So. But go ahead, Jerk. What were you gonna say? Oh, I was just gonna say I remember playing Wolfenstein 3D on my Super Nintendo when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was way advanced from what we were. Doing. <laughs> I never, uh, I never uh, played. I never played it VR, so I don't think I. I don't know if I ever will, but that'd be kind of fun to do. Yeah, on a new headset. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> on a new headset. Maybe, maybe we'll revisit that. We'll we see if we can get a. Contract another contract with id uh, to license the uh, game engine for convergence. It would be fun uh, to do that. Of course, now Wolfenstein's all 3D and real, and you know, sure, yeah. it's a lot better. But but it would be kind of interesting to go old school 8-bit. You know, and hey, there's a re- there's a retro market. The, the retro yeah, market's taken market, off. Yeah, sure. it's taken off. So if not, if not, I would um, play that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if not VR, then uh, AR, augmented reality, where you're using your phone to. Uh, kill Nazis, you know, in the castle Wolfenstein, you know, that would be an interesting game. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Any yeah. chance to kill Nazis. Yeah. I mean, that's, you just that's just where it's at. <laughs> well, definitely. So let's, yeah. So I definitely just jump into that, to the vision of uh, Silicon Nexus. There's a lot of moving parts to it, but if you guys could simplify what it is, I'd love to hear that. <clears throat> well, I can give my, my side and then uh, sure. Jerry, you could talk to the, um, the, what we're doing as far as the marketing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and uh, you can go go more into the the uh, non fungible tokens side because I mm-hmm. you know my knowledge level on that is pretty low compared to Jared. Um, mm-hmm. So this started uh, with Silica Transition, a book that I wrote um, quite a few years ago. It's on Amazon under T A Row, and uh, Silica Transition is a novel about um, this period we're in right now where there might come a time where, um, like, I don't know who's familiar with Total Recall, but in Total Recall, the movie, um, he goes into a, a virtual experience. It's a full body experience, you know, as far as your brain. And maybe a little like The Matrix, um, but you go into this experience and you wake up and you um, 
you're not sure whether you're still in the simulation. Um, tr Silica transition kind of touches on that possibility, but I do it in a realistic way. So I'm, I'm doing it in present day. Uh, what would it be like to go to sleep one day and wake up in another world and not remember how you got there? So uh, that's what Silica Transition is about. Now, Silica Nexus is a prequel to Silica Transition, which I'm writing for the game. So um, it's essentially all of the pieces that came together to make it possible to immerse somebody in a simulation so realistic that you couldn't, you didn't know how you got there and you didn't know how to get out. So, um, and that may hearken to a matrix kind of idea, but in the matrix, um, it's AIs that have decided to go up against humanity. And uh, my that's not what my story is about. Um, also, I wrote my story. Uh, the first, At least the treatment of my story was written several years before the matrix came out. And, and it was only when my boss at the time told me, wow, that story is really interesting. You should, you should check out the matrix. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. And so yeah. I watched it and, you know, I sat there on the couch with my mouth open most of the time. Right. Uh, especially the helicopter sequence where uh, Neo figures out that he is the one, you know, that there was like, there's like a five minute sequence there scene. And that had me on the edge of my seat. I had never seen it. I didn't get to see it in the theater, unfortunately. Um, of course, they should have stopped with the one movie, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess for a, a modern day Ready Player One, I mean, is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Well, Ready Player One is a good uh, reference point. I did read that a um, couple years ago uh, before it became a movie, before it was even, they were even talking about it being a movie. Um, and I was blown away uh, because the Oasis described a Ready Player One as kind of what we had in mind. You know, um, it'd be nice if we could achieve that that goal where anybody anywhere could log in, play any game that's in our network and uh, participate in kind of lobby areas where they can talk about the adventure or the things that they just did. And then everybody join hands and go jump into another uh, simulation or another adventure. Uh, the key to the Silicon Nexus is that uh, we want to create a, um, an interface that allows game companies to, um transfer value from one game to another game and uh hold on to that value in your inventory uh it could be in the form of non-fungible tangible tokens or like with durable i guess address or it could be in the form of our currency which is an in-game currency called the droid mm -hmm. so droids these are the droids you're looking for that's our tagline um droids is a um it's a utility token, um, which we're hoping to turn into something of real value in the near future. So um, it's a good chance or a good opportunity for people to get their hands on some droids. Um, and if you look up droid uh, token on the internet, you'll find it. Um, we also have um, a website fund.siliconexus.com. Does that sound right, Jared? F-U-N-D fund.siliconexus.com and you can find out a whole bunch of information there about the Silicon Nexus project as well. But I'd love, I'd love for Jared to in, in expand on the NFT side of this. But first, um, 
Chris, did you have anything that I didn't cover that you wanted me to hit on? Yeah. I, one other question was, uh, you talk about the ecosystem. Is there like a social networking layer to it as well of communicating with others, um, like a social community? Yeah, we have the uh, Sarah app, uh, which is under development. Uh, we're at the very beginning of that. But the Sarah app is kind of like uh, Pokemon Go with a purpose. Mm. Um, it connects um, companies and users, players to each other so that if you're in an area where an event is taking place, the Sarah app can guide you to that event. Um, also, you can use it for treasure hunting and the, the sort of things you would do on a Pokemon Go kind of environment. The Sarah app is is a hub on your mobile device that allows you to communicate with um, other players in a social way and to find out what's going on around you and get involved in it. Um, so like, like I guess discoverability sounds like for events and, and others yes. within the ecosystem. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So um, even from a, from a commercial side, um, obviously anything we do, our objective is fun. Uh, we want the, we're not going to get millions of players involved unless they can't resist. Uh, so we have to make it as fun as possible. Um, but in order to make that something of value, I mean, if we're giving away the app for free, everybody knows that you have to create some sort of value proposition proposition. So uh, if you're in Orlando or someplace where there's a lot of businesses or some family entertainment centers, you might get pinged uh, that there's an event taking place in an hour at, at uh, Chuck at, um, at uh, what is one of the places we're working with? Um, uh, what? Namco? No, um, one of the uh, family entertainment centers. Like a main event, like a main event or something like that. Something that, like that, but I'm thinking more of building uh, Dave Dave Buster's. Dave, yeah. yeah Dave Buster's. So we actually have a relationship with Dave and Buster's already. Uh, mm -hmm. Andrew Prell is mostly on that, which is why I'm having trouble remembering the name. But um, but you, we could stage an event at, at a local uh, Dave and Buster's, and it was taking place at a certain time. And basically, we're we're arranging for Dave and Buster's to have 100, 200 people show up at a certain time on a certain day, and spend money. Um, we're going to give we'll we'll have awards and things that they can win that they could spend while they're there and not have to actually come out of pocket. But then of course, while they're there, they may want to buy a meal or they might want to play some video games or, or do something else. And that's an opportunity for Dave and Buster's to um, get a benefit out of this. And so we've created something called the, um, the game, see user acquisition engine and the uh, user acquisition engine is supposed to, uh, connect companies that do entertainment with players that want entertainment. So that's, uh, that's where we are with that. Yeah. So Jerry, if you talk a little bit about the NFTs, what a non-fungible token is and then how that's part of all this. And definitely touch on the amount of people that are involved in your, um, in your social networking. So, because the, the numbers are really impressive. Oh, oh yeah. For our, for our community. Yeah. Um, well, so I guess first with the NFT stands for non-fungible token. Um, I always ask people start out, do you know what Bitcoin is? Do you know what, you know, do you know sure. you have an idea of how that works? Because if you understand Bitcoin, it's easier for me to just skip, skip to what NFT is. If you think about Bitcoin, it's think of it like it's like digital cash. That's what I always tell people. So if you imagine 
I give you a dollar bill and you hand me a one dollar bill, they're worth the same thing. Unless, I mean, let's not talk about weird collectible dollar bills, but um, let's just assume they're both printed the same day. We just trade dollar bills. It, they're they're fungible. They have the same value. Um, but if I was to give you a Shaquille O'Neal basketball card, you gave me a Michael Jordan basketball card in exchange. They're not worth the same. <laughs> they're made with the same paper. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're made in the same factory. You know, it's just paper and ink, but they're not worth the same. And we there's put, a lot of properties that change that value. Like, yeah. is, is it signed? Was it a, an event card or some kind of special thing that occurred and you were there and you got them to sign it? You Scarc- know? Scarcity. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a one of a kind, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, so what we're able to do now is put scarce one of a kind um, digital items on store and store it on the blockchain. And by having it on the blockchain, you know, when, when, when something's on the blockchain, it's immutable. You can't just um, say, oh, this never happened. You know, it, so it, it's much more secure and it allows P players to own really own their own digital items and it's not just on a video game server you know where say world of warcraft might here's an example um, um remember hearthstone uh, a guy this guy uh said though the the uh, chinese taking over um oh what's the name of the city uh is it bait not beijing what's is it no hong kong right this guy stood up and said, I think it's wrong. The Chinese are taking over Hong Kong. Yeah. And then Hearthstone punished him for speaking out and saying that because they didn't want to get in trouble with the Chinese. Right. Um, but if it's all on the blockchain, no one can take it away from you because you own it. You hold it instead of someone else owning it and holding it. So that's one big advantage. But another advantage is if it's on the blockchain, you can theoretically go to any device and pull it out of the blockchain, which, so you could go to an arcade, pull it out of the blockchain and play the game there, or, you know, on your phone, your computer, you know, the blockchain doesn't care what device you use. Um, And then the other cool thing is I might make, let's say I make a new game. Um, the Jared game and people buy my NFTs and stuff. A few years later, I go out of business, but Tom was actually a big fan of the Jared game and he makes the Tom game and he accepts Jared game NFTs into his game. So, you know, when a game no longer is popular or cool, those NFTs you earned in game could still go to a new game because you know, any game, you know, any game that chooses to accept that stuff on the blockchain can. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of neat things NFTs can do. And I, I barely even scratched the surface, but I, I want to kind of take a step back and see if there's any questions, before, you know, before I go on. And if that, what I said made let sense. Me, let me throw, I don't see. No, go, ahead. go ahead, Chris. Uh, is there something you wanted to add? No, go ahead. Okay. So um, Andrew likes to talk about the value of our utility token. Um, 
let's uh, if we went to something somebody like Microsoft when they created the Xbox the first one and they um, they had one game that was like a an anchor game for that system and that was Halo nobody else had Halo okay and eventually they released it for the PC but uh, they didn't again uh, I'm hoping they will again someday but um, mostly it was just to push the sales of that uh, ecosystem the Xbox system right so if you sell a million Xboxes and Halo does really well, you have another thousand games that, that some of them do well and some of them not so well. All those other games are standing on their own, right? Because they're using their own money to build and their economy and everything else. In, in the Silicon Nexus economy, the droid is the currency. Now we want other NFTs to come in and out of that system. So you can hold droids in your wallet, your um, you know, your, uh, what's the name of the wallet uh, that we're using? Jared, I'm not as good with the terms. You mean like the engine wallet or? Yeah, like engine wallet. What is the type of wallet though? Um, I just call it a crypto wallet. Okay, but it's like a, there's something 20. It's like oh, ERC20. ERC20, okay. So I'm not as big on the uh, the crypto term, but um. So you've got one of those wallets and you've got droids in there, you know, 10 million droids or whatever, but you've also got other NFTs in there as well that you're holding on to. Um, we have our, um, what are we calling our portfolio, uh, the binder. Do we have a name for that? Binder. Just what? It's called a trade binder. Trade binder. So we have the trade binder, which is what you'll look at on your phone or your computer to see all of the NFTs that you have in your inventory and uh, make use of them from there and sell them. You can sell them, auction them, things like that. Um, but in that, in that uh, system, like the Xbox system, if uh, Halo does really well, it doesn't raise the other bugs other than more systems are sold and maybe they'll buy your game too, right? But if all the games in the ecosystem are connected to an internal currency, then if the value of that currency goes up because some major game is pulled into the system, suddenly that currency, which is a finite resource, I mean, there's only a trillion of them, right? That sounds like a lot. But um, if you have it spread across a thousand games, then a trillion tokens may not go that far. So we have a subdivision on those tokens as well called nanites. Um, so we can distribute tokens over the years throughout our system and throughout the games. But if that token suddenly becomes more valuable because either we run out or a game enters the system that absorbs a, a large quantity of those, making them more rare, then uh, everybody's token goes up in value. So all the games connected to that currency, that which right now is just a utility token, we're hoping someday maybe it will become a currency. But if all of the uh, systems, uh, games in the system are connected to that currency in some way, the value that they hold in that currency will go up as well. So all the boats rise with this tide. Uh, of course, they all fall with it too, but the objective is as we're all holders, so we want the value to go up and stay up. Um, uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have been in this since 2013. So that's where we are. Uh, Jared? I don't have anything to add right now. Uh, if you have any qu questions, Chris? 
I mean, I could talk about NFTs and block yeah. blockchain game partners. I mean, whatever you guys want. Yeah, no, and then we'll get some questions uh, on other platforms on YouTube and on LinkedIn. So feel free to jump in. It's a very in-depth conversation. Um, mm -hmm. as, as far as I guess one of the questions might come up as you know, utility uh, versus another type of cryptocurrency. What's the difference there? And then is the value stable as far as uh, like the, the droids concerned initially? So, okay, so like a utility token versus say Bitcoin. You know, now obviously Bitcoin has utility. People will accept it as a coin. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole point of a utility token is that there is a place, a specific place it's meant to be used. So our marketplace where you buy, sell and trade, um, trade NFTs is where the, our droid token is primarily used. And that's what gives it you, utility usefulness um we are not as much a speculative coin like bitcoin where we're like oh we hope you know where it's going to rise in value you know rise to you know like people are speculating bitcoin will go to a million dollars a coin for instance you know um and you know i'm not anyways real quick as a real quick question on just so for an so let's say uh, you have a, a, an in-game skin. Like, how does that play a role within the NFT? If you're looking to it, transfer, it is a an skin, NFT. A skin can be an NFT. Yeah, it is the <laughs> NFT, right? Yeah. Any so there could be it could be one, or it could be one of a hundred, you know, or something like that. So it has a certain value based on its popularity, and then uh, it also has value in other things like droids, you know, or even money, real money. Uh, you know, I guess. You can't stop people from trading things outside of your economy. Uh, they'll come up with a way to do it, you know. But with, of course, with wallets, you can move things back and forth between wallets. Sure. You know, at will. So. Yeah, I mean, it, already there's there's already a blockchain game um, ecosystem out there, um, where you have games like Gods Unchained is a very famous one. Crypto Kitties. Um, and some of our partners like Ether Legends, Dissolution, um, these, the all these games, you know, have items in them, and each item is an NFT. So, for instance, Ether Legends, it's like a trading card game. Think Magic: The Gathering. Well, each card is its own NFT. So you own your own cards, just like in Magic: The Gathering in real life. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of things you can make an NFT into. Um, really, an NFT can can be anything because it's just it's just a, a way to it's a way to store you know it's a way to you know blockchain is just a database system that has certain properties to it that make it so you can't just change it willy nilly. That's I mean that's one property of a blockchain. There's more, but with that in place. That makes it so people can hold value long term with their video game items because the blockchain is keeping track of it all. I also want to go back. I also want to go back to maybe dive into more detail on uh, working with like a, a game center, so like a Dave and Buster's. Like, what's the value prop of having this alongside it, alongside of like the physical event, like the, the physical space and the physical games, and then having this ecosystem alongside of it, and what that means. 
Well, it could be a bargain that they're offering that because that, they just need to bring in, um, they need 50 more people in their facility to pay the bills, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, they're creating a, a coupon or something that we're distributing through the, the Sarah app. Or it could be that you're using the Sarah app to participate in a, a multiplayer um, portal event where the portal is opening at Dave and Buster's at 12 noon, be there to collect um, treasure drops, mm. right? So they arrive there and they see a glow on some column or some wall and they go and they gather around that wall and they hold up their phones or they put on their AR goggles. I'm hoping that, you know, we will be there soon where you don't have to always hold the device in your hand. Um, or they're holding a, uh, a plastic, you know, brightly colored, non-threatening uh, rifle with their device snapped into it, using it as a, a, a augmented reality gun, right? Uh, we want to create um, ways to get into the game like that as well, because it's more fun than holding your phone up and, you know, I'll do this thing, and tapping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, more, more engaging, yeah. No. Everybody gathers around this portal event and they start, the portal latches onto our world in the silica uh, Nexus storyline, there's an alien race that has decided it doesn't like us, and there's a good reason for that, but I'll let you guys uh, research the fun.siliconexus.com website to find out what that reason is. The um, the uh, alien race is really uh, pissed off at us, and um, they decide that, that humans should not exist, and uh, they're held back from a invasion by a council of alien races that prevents hostile action against worlds that aren't in the community yet kind of like the um the prime directive in star trek you know so they're not allowed to interfere and uh they prime directive is enforced by a race that has a super weapon that can annihilate a planet kind of like a death star okay they would never use it you violate the rules <laughs> just in case even the ra- even the race that wants us dead is very stealthy about how they try to take us out and they're doing this by opening portals all over the planet and anyone that has this app can help defend the earth against this assault these portals dra- uh, alter our magnetic uh, field and uh, their their goal is to turn us into Mars, basically eliminate our electromagnetic shields so that the planet becomes um, a barren wasteland uh, to as a slow way to wipe out humanity. Uh, so when this race takes offense, it really holds on to it. <laughs> so, um, so part of the Silicon Nexus game is um, basically choosing sides because uh, there are factions on both sides that are thinking that they're trying to do something for good, you know. So um, it'll it'll be the player uh, getting involved on one side or the other and trying to either support the portals or close the portals. And um, we also uh, we're trying to do a device agnostic approach to our design so that if you're on a desktop. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're on a desktop or on a mobile phone. The mobile phone version perspective of the game will give you access to things you can do on a mobile phone. But if you're on a desktop with a VR headset on or standing in a room with you know your controllers in your hand, we want to give you interface 
integration that allows you to take advantage of the tools at your disposal. So if you're sitting at your desk, you might be driving a cyber tank in the ether. Uh, the ether realms is the place you can't see with human eyes that exists all around us and we're swimming in it. It's kind of like the ether of old, you know, the 40s when they used to talk about the stuff we couldn't see, but we knew that it was there. Um, and that stuff is real. Uh, we're just twisting it around into our part of our storyline. So you at your desktop, you might be able to fly a drone from your desktop right into the portal, go to the other side and take them on there, right? <laughs> You might be able to uh, possess a, um, a drone that's humanoid on the other side that has been placed there by the friendly aliens as a way to help us defend ourselves. And you might be able to possess one of those entities and through a telepresence walk around on their side of the wormhole, the portal, mm. and, uh, do some damage to their facilities and the things that are holding the portal open. Of course, once it closes, your connection closes and you're back on our side and you've lost connection with whatever you were driving. So, I mean, there is a whole lot of fun to be had. Uh, we can open one of these things anywhere. We could in a park near your house, uh, you know, all over the place. So just like in Pokemon Go, um, where you're drawn to a place because of an event like an arena or something, this is more a little more versatile. Uh, we would like to give uh, game masters the opportunity to use tools that we develop to set up events. So if you're at a Dave and Buster's, you could have an event coordinator there that could go and, and create an event, post it on the calendar, and then anybody nearby would come and attend. Uh, Convergence wins because we get a cut of the droid transactions and things that go through that. Mm -hmm. But uh, the local facility gets a a better uh, cut because they get access to all the players and they get um, a, the majority of the money or the value that is transferred in that arrangement. So it's really a, a every, everybody should win. You know, if everybody doesn't win, it won't succeed. So the facility gets that next level of engagement that they right. are collecting names in cities okay. and, and people with email or mobile contacts that we can call on to defend the earth against the uh, alien race that's trying to destroy us. So, yeah. And another layer of being, just being active with uh, another engagement layer. So no, it, yeah, it, may, it makes sense. Um, the other thing, I, one other thing was there's a lot of, you know, this is a very, very uh, understatement, but there's a lot of value lost in games when you're purchasing skins you're purchasing things that are right. in, in game assets so is right. so this is this is a way as you mentioned i uh, just kind of guess reiterate transfer that what transfer transfer that potential nft to a to outside the, that particular game so that you're not losing mm -hmm. there's, there's tons you're talking tons of money that's just sitting mm -hmm. sitting inside of a game that can't be extracted right. And if everything in a game connected to our uh, universe has droid value, <clears throat> right? Then you could always just turn it into droids. Right. The tra the transfer. That is the transferable uh, token that can move from place to place easily. Now we want to create a way for value to transfer as well and experience. So <clears throat> if you're on a fantasy world uh, fighting dragons with a sword, and then you are teleported off of this world or, or step through a wormhole or something and you end up 
in a sci-fi world that doesn't support fantasy combat, mm -hmm. right? Then we have to come up with a way to transfer the value of that sword into the value of a laser pistol or a lightsaber or something like that, right? So uh, that's a very complex uh, proposition. Uh, that it's almost like running a stock market inside the game. So we would have to come up with a way for value-to-value -value transaction based on popularity, rarity, you know, stuff like that. So a lot of answers have not been uh, given yet, but uh, we have, a, you know, we have a lot more questions than we have answers, but we do have a really good path. Um, and I think that it'll, it'll create something that uh, people will love. And I also want to get your, your all's take just generally. It's probably the last point uh, coming up on uh, the end of the time here. What are your all's thoughts on, you know, obviously the last few months, um, you know, with physical events, virtual events, uh, what your all's thoughts on that over the next, over the next few months, but even over the last next couple of years and how that's accelerated of, you know, a physical event, you know, organizations now having to develop virtual events and, and what that looks like, uh, whether it is via, whether it's full blown VR, AR, or if, if it's some type of browser-based solution uh, to provide that experience to those that are part of those events. I, you know, I think on one side, we'll never get away from physical events. Hmm. People like seeing people in person. The only way we'll get away from that is if it gets to the point where it is like the matrix, then maybe people won't care. But otherwise I don't see how we are now with what we have now completely replacing traditional physical events. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people really miss meeting in person. And I think this has shown how much people really do like that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, we, with all the technology we've had for the last decade, we really should have had more virtual components for events sooner. You know, what if you're ill? What if you can't travel? There's all sorts of reasons People need to be able to attend an event, but can't physically be there. I think this, um, I think this pandemic thing we've been going through has um, created some positive effects. Um, one of them is that we've discovered. I knew this ten years ago that you don't have to get in a, a, a piece of metal and drive back and forth between your home and your job five times or more a week. That's not necessary for at least thirty percent. I'm, I'm just guessing off the top of my head, at least 30% of the people that are on the road every single day don't have to be there. And that lightens the load for everyone, you know? Um, and if you're into saving the planet through uh, lower emissions, then that helps. Right? The carbon footprint of it, yeah. And that's not talked about enough, I don't think. And we have seen it. We've seen it uh, in places like... Um, China, where the cities that are always coated in smog got clear for a week, you know, because they were keeping everybody home um, and they shut down the, the coal factories and stuff, you know. Um, so we've seen the effect of that. Now, we also hopefully have realized through this that people are capable of doing as much work or more from their home setup, you know. Uh, anybody that uses a computer in a company could use a computer at home and, and accomplish the same thing. The other company that I'm working with right now, everybody went home. I moved uh, seven, uh, 900 miles away from my company because I had to get back to my home in Delray Beach, Florida with my family. And 
I just took the computers with me and I set up my office here and um, I do my work, you know, five days a week from here. And uh, we're doing everything that we were doing there. Uh, you just some, you sometimes you have to jump through some hoops for security and stuff like that, but um, it could be accomplished. So even though there's a lot of uh, negative and uh, distress going on at this time, I think that there we can definitely take some positives from this. And it's kind of taught people that we can still do all the things that were most a lot of the things that we were doing uh, without having to be to get on a plane or get in a car and go do it. But like Jared was saying, I miss being at roundtable meetings and, and having discussions with real people. You know, um, I, I don't like going to the store where everybody's faces are covered. Um, humans are beautiful. So, uh, you know, this is not what we want to see. <laughs> We want to see facial expression. We get a lot of our clues and cues from the way people move their mouths and their eyes. And and um, I really uh, am annoyed that, you know, this has had to happen the way that it has. But I can see some definite spinoff benefits from it. So. And then, yeah, so a couple of comments. So Justin jumped on and says, we keep talking about going back to office than settling on staying home. We are getting more work done from home. Uh, something yeah. else that brought up a lot is the commute. And, and I never, I've never really had a, you know, three hour commute, you know, one, an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back, but there's a lot yeah. that have that. And you talk I, had, I did that for two years here in Delray beach. Uh, cause I worked in, uh, and, um, uh, <clears throat> Pompano, Pompano Beach. And uh, even though on the map it's only a few miles, the traffic was horrible at rush hour both times of day. I would take side roads. I'd do everything I could to try and get faster. But every single day somebody <laughs> crashes into somebody else and gums up the works, you know. And uh, it takes 100,000 people all doing everything right to run smoothly and only one asshole to screw it all up. <laughs> So, I mean, that happens every day. So, yeah, it was at least two hours, uh, more like two and a half hours a day, five days a week. So it's awful. You know, I this is what I thought about when I had a job commuting, and I was only having to drive 30 minutes to work. You know, and granted, rush hour traffic sometimes ended up being an hour if something went wrong. But if things went right, it was 30 minutes. And I thought, well, that's still an hour a day. Yeah, I'm not getting paid for. I'm not benefiting from other than be able to get to work mm -hmm. and think all the wear and tear on my car. Um, you know, an hour a day, um, you know, that ends up being 30 hours a month. I mean, that's a side hustle, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so to me, commuting is, is one of, is a big loss for people. I don't yeah. see, you know, it's not a win. It's a loss. So I think a lot of people being able to work from home is extremely beneficial. And then also if you have, let's say 30% of the population working from home, think how much it would clear up rush hour traffic for people who say work in a warehouse or, or work in places that they really do physically need to be there. <laughs> I, I see it as a benefit. The one thing people are concerned about is if all the office workers start working from home, how that will change downtown structures because those people won't be in their offices anymore. 
you know, what happens to the restaurants in those areas, what happens to the gas stations and convenience stores and things like that. So it will really alter our um, society if 30% of people just become permanent work at home. You know, I think ultimately for the good, but there will definitely be some uh, people who are on the losing side. Disruption. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, commercial real estate, um, especially downtown, high end. I've thought about that a lot and how that might potentially look. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of lot of moving parts to it. Um, and then you know, so last week was part of a, a virtual career fest where you know you have have a character. You're walking around from booth to booth and you're meeting 22 vendors and like it really happened. It, it wasn't just an idea. It actually happened. Yeah, and we we can adapt. <laughs> you know, right? They're very clever, you know. So, and and, and you know, people, you know, organizations that are running events, either you are learning how to build out the virtual event side of it for your organization and what you're doing, or you're just not right now. There is no other alternative. So it is pushing for that innovation to stepping out and saying, okay, let's try it. You know, the first the, the first adopters, the innovators, to say, let's do this. Let's step out and let's see how we can uh, improve our footprint. So. I found, I found all this. It's really interesting. Actually, this last question all ties into what we talked about before, uh, you know, virtualizing everything. So, but Hey, I appreciate you guys jumping on. What are some best ways for everyone to get connected to you, to you guys uh, on social? We're all on LinkedIn. Go ahead. ahead. I was going to say we're all on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you want to just see us as a business, LinkedIn is great. But if you want to ask questions about our project, we have a telegram community. And that's really great. We have about 1,400 people in, in it. Mm-hmm. Um, go, ahead and go ahead and share the link. Can you link to that, Jared? I can. I can uh, post it. the chat, and that way it'll he can pop it into the. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll also put it under the the description of the replays as well on the podcast. Yeah. Something else. I can. Yeah, let me go ahead and try to get that one moment. And Todd, how can me? I'm uh, I'm also obviously on LinkedIn, and um, you can find me there. Um, I've got uh, a suit on, which is rare, and uh, I am giving you my blue still impersonation. So it's really easy to spot my avatar. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it is. Uh, but uh, then, uh, you know, of course, we are at siliconexus.com, prize-nexus, uh, which was linked, was shared, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, we also have uh, fund, fund.siliconexus.com. And, uh, you know, you can reach us. Uh, LinkedIn, since we're doing this here, it was probably a good idea to go ahead and connect with us on LinkedIn, and then we can share other things with you. So. Well, very cool. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your schedules to be here uh, to talk about the project and, you know, talk about, you know, VR, AR, XR uh, over the past 25 years, like some of the experiences with it, some of the stories. I always find that really fascinating. And then also just hearing just career stories and um, what you guys have been through. So it's been great. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Tom, Jerry, appreciate it. Thank you guys very much. Uh, this will be a podcast if, you, if you're just coming to the tail end of it and it's replayed on YouTube. So we'll see you on there. We'll oh, see you guys later. See y'all. All right, we'll see you. Bye. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Just want to thank everyone who has done a five star rating or review. If you enjoy the content, this is a way to get 
the word out about the Level Up experience, and I really do appreciate it. A couple things, if you want to get connected uh, outside of the podcast, um, we do a live stream on YouTube and LinkedIn. So just search Level Up Experience on YouTube uh, to be a part of the live stream there. We also do LinkedIn Live, as mentioned. Search my name, Chris Reed, C-R-I-S-R-E-E-D, to get notifications on either platform. Thank you all for all the support, and we'll see you on the next episode.